Love Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Barker. What a privilege to have a guy who you cannot listen to uh, at any point during the day, one hour, without hearing at least 13 of his impressions, television or radio. He's one of the most uh, vigorously used uh, voiceover artists in the world, J.D. Barker, and he did this for me out of, oh, I paid him, but he gave me a a big break because I could never afford a guy like him. But he is amazing. Thank you so much for the introduction. So this is uh, Sean Talk with the Ninja Passer. Don't make me kill you. Don't make me kill you. You hear a lot of pacifists, and many of them are Christians, claiming that we are not to fight our oppressors or our assaulters, but we are only to pray for them. Do we have the option to just abdicate the political and spiritual fight right now because we're frustrated, anxiety-ridden, or just plain tired of all the angst? The answer is no. No, we do not. And in this powerful message that's going to be coming at you in about 10 seconds, directly from Scripture, uh, I will be giving you not only an impenetrable foundation for personal sovereignty sovereignty and national sovereignty, but also faith sovereignty. So if you have friends, if you're at a home computer, um, not if you're driving, don't do this if you're driving, but, you know, send the link. To your friends, post it on social media. If you if you're on social media, we would love to have them listen. And also, when we're finished, if you don't catch all of it, um, feel free to download the whole thing. Usually within three to five minutes after I'm finished, the engineers have it all cleaned up and ready to go. So, and welcome to our our live audience. It's my son Doyle's birthday. We're celebrating it today. 21. He's 21 years old. So on Tuesday he'll actually be 21. So uh, we're all here, and there was cake served and whatnot. So real proud of him. Love him very, very much. What a lucky, lucky guy I am. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. That's Genesis 4, 9 through 11. Isn't this interesting? Blood has a voice that cries out to God. Hebrews twelve twenty four in the Complete Jewish Bible also speaks of the fact that Jesus sprinkled blood, says better, thing, better things than Abel's. I'll just read it. What the heck? It's free of charge. No cost or obligation to you. Uh, this is Hebrews twelve twenty four. To the mediator of a new covenant, Yeshua, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better things 
than that of Hevel, which is Abel's. Uh, which is able. The ESV puts it this way, the uh, English Standard Version. Um, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, that's Hebrews 12:24 in the ESV. This week, somebody I love very, very much called me a warmonger. I'm routinely called a hater in social media, and there's usually protests and things like that when I speak places because. You know, that's how they define me, those that don't understand what I'm saying or the foundation of what I'm saying or really what I'm saying at all. That's what they'll brand you, hater. Uh, so I'm called a hater in social media. I'm used to that. I'm called a hater in different speeches, and I'm used to that. But I'm called that for my approach to all things national and personal defense, and I defend myself and my position in those forums with great gusto. But bring ban- being branded a warmonger by a deeply loved person, that's pretty tough. That made me pause. There are many in the Christian community who disagree with the idea of self-defense. That's just a fact. We know that there are many, many people in the Christian community that they just disagree with it. They say, hey, we don't believe you should defend yourself. We don't believe you should defend your families. We don't believe in carrying or owning weapons. We don't believe in protecting our country with force, defending liberty, and protecting the innocent. There are also an awful lot of people who use the idea of pacifism to intimate that we are not to in any way have a gun or a weapon. Listen, you should be a pacifist like Jesus, uh, as if they know. So just for fun, we're going we're gonna to unpack this really well. Almost daily I'm asked questions like, won't God protect me if I just trust him? Doesn't Jesus say that violence is wrong? Every day, there's not a day that goes by I don't get asked those questions. I believe that the Christian is especially the Christian especially has an obligation to defend and protect himself, and more importantly, they have an obligation. An obligation. Do you have a right to do it? Sure. You probably should do it. Sure. But you have a scriptural obligation to do it. The question I ask in return, am I my brother's keeper? When they ask me that. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, I am. And you know what? So are you. Have you ever thought about that? Whether you like it or not, so are you. Uh, I'm going to speak at length tonight about, well, I won't speak at that much length because we only have an hour. But I'm going to speak at length tonight about the biblical foundations for what I believe. And on a personal level, I will demonstrate why I am so interested in presenting the self-defense tools that actually after we finish, we're going to present some self-defense tools for folks here that we have here tonight and my renewed commitment to educate my fellow Christians on this very topic. We're coming into some very unstable times. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. They're unstable times. They're dangerous times. And you know what? To stick our head in the sand at this point or, at, or to abdicate our God-given role, frankly, would be indefensible. We begin first by looking at the biblical obligation to preserve life. Pro-abortion folks, this is where you should listen up. The Bible clearly teaches that we must preserve our own lives and the lives of other people. 1 Corinthians 6.19 teaches that our bodies are not our own. Rather, our bodies belong to who? They belong to God. Our bodies are his property. And so we're not permitted to treat or destroy them as we please. 
Or know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which ye have from God, and ye are not your own? For ye were bought with a price. Glorify God, therefore, with your body. That's the American Standard Version of 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Not only are we to take care of our bodies and the life contained, we have an obligation to preserve the body and the life of other people. Psalm 82, 4 even cites an obligation to protect those who are in danger. Here, here, this is just free of charge, no cost or obligation to you. Uh, Psalm 82.4, rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Consider also Proverbs 24.11, which indicates we have a duty to preserve the lives of those who are harming themselves. We have a duty to preserve. Don't believe me. I'll just read it for you verbatim. Proverbs 24.11, deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. Right? I mean, does that seem pretty clear and plain? Well, how about Ezekiel 33? It's a well-known passage. But if, it's 33.6, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Let me say this really quick about Bo Bergdahl, Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. You know, Bo Bergdahl was the big, the big hullabaloo over in Afghanistan. He was, he was, he, uh, he's been treated like a prisoner of war when in fact he was not a prisoner of war. He was in fact a, a deserter. And not only was he a deserter, but he, he placed his compatriots in harm's way. He, he placed his combat brothers in harm's way, and several of them were killed in the process of looking for him. In fact, we know now that he gave the enemy information that got even more of our soldiers killed. His duty and obligation was to protect his brothers in the interest of the United States of America, and he did just exactly the opposite. We're going to talk about what his actual punishment should be Biblically speaking, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Wow. We have an obligation to, even when we're looking to protect each other, our friends, every, you know, all the people around us, the good people, we have an obligation to protect them. And if we fail that blood, our blood will be required of us. If you know danger is coming to others and you deliberately fail to warn the others of the danger, you are guilty of harming the victims. Now, did you catch that? According to Scripture, which I believe, if you are guilty of not warning when you see danger coming and you don't warn them, you're guilty of harming the victims. Pearl Harbor is a great example. You remember that? You guys all remember that. Uh, Pearl Harbor... Uh, the way the story went, uh, in Pearl Harbor, uh, we saw the aircraft coming over. There were watchmen, and they were stationed strategically. They saw the aircraft coming over, and it, they saw it. They reported it, and nobody did anything. They didn't pass the word along, and thousands were killed, slaughtered. Do you know the person that didn't pass that along, the judgment for them should actually have been death. If you know danger is coming toward others and you deliberately fail 
Now, the key word here is deliberately fail to warn the others of the danger. You're guilty of harming the victims. This is not to say that you can make people take heed. You can't make people take heed. You're a doctor. You can't make people do what you tell them to do. You can try, but you can't do it. I can try to tell people, look, you need to lock your doors. Look, lock your garage door. Don't leave your garage door unlocked while you're gone. Or, you know, even if you're just running to the school and running back, don't leave your garage door locked. I can say it 100,000 times. You know what I can't do? I can't make you do it. I can say, listen, when you're in your house, lock your doors. Put your bars up. I'm a big fan of putting up extra barriers. Put your bars up. Lock your doors. Now, in full disclosure, I can tell you, I grew, I'm a country boy. I grew up in the country. We, did, we didn't have locks on our doors, literally. But you know what we had? Guns and lots of them, and we knew how to use them. And folks knew back then, you mess around and go in somebody's house where you don't belong, guess what? You're going out horizontal. That's just a fact. So we didn't need locks back then. People knew better. People treated each other better. The fact of the matter is, today's another thing. So I'm saying to you, I can't make you do what you're supposed to do. I can't make you do it. But my obligation is to tell you. I can't force you, but I'm going to tell you. We, um, the thing is, is I, I want to be uh, clear on Thank you very much. I want to be clear on this. The surrounding verses also say that if the people refuse to heed the warning. Now, this is clear. The watch, you're not guilty. I just want to be clear on that, that I'm not saying you're guilty if people don't do what you say. Let me also say this. You know, I warn a lot of people in what I do. Uh, tomorrow at 4 p.m., uh, 4 to 6, I'm on the radio, uh, The Collision of Faith and Politics with the Ninja Pastor. Over 600,000 people listen, generally, unless tomorrow's a bad day, and maybe 599,999 won't listen. If you don't like the message, you'll be like, I'm not listening. Oh, what is today? Saturday. Saturday. I'm so, thank you very much. Very astute. Uh, I don't have any idea what today is. So Monday, Monday, not tomorrow, Monday. I'll be at a very special event with a bunch of my dear, dear friends Talking about photography tomorrow. So Monday, thank you. Awesome. So Monday uh, from 4 to 6 p.m., I'm going to be warning people. I warn people all the time. It's kind of what I do. I don't know if you'd call me the watchman on the wall, but I'm just saying I try to warn people. I try to tell them, listen, this, this is happening in this country. This is dangerous. And you know what? Some folks get tired of it. Sometimes they just can't listen. They say, man, it's just too much. I have very dear people I love and adore that say I can't listen to one more thing about what all's happening in this country? I can't do it. I just got to disconnect. I just want to pray and read my Bible and hide away from all this stuff. I got to I got to close off all this scary stuff because I just can't take it. It's just going to eat me up. I respect that. You know what? Sometimes I have to do the same thing for about ten minutes, and then I got to get back in the fight because my brethren are out there, and my job, God tells me, is to warn them. Can't make you do it, but I can warn you. And listen, folks. On Monday, just by the way. On Monday, I'm going to go into even greater detail, much greater detail than I can do today. So don't panic if you're like, oh, he didn't touch on this, touch on I will go in much greater detail on Monday, Monday 4 to 6 p.m. To get information on that, theninjapastor.com, go over to the blog, and why not put a comment while you're there, unless it's nasty or dirty and don't do that, because I'll delete it. So we also see principles in Mosaic Law teaching that if we fail to guard the lives of other, others, we are guilty. Now, let me give you a scenario. There is a car on fire. You can look inside the car. You see there's a human being in the car, but they're panicking. They can't get their seatbelt off. 
Now, you have a little knife because if you're smart, you go everywhere with a sharp, sharp knife. If somebody loves you, they need to give you a sharp, sharp knife. So you need a sharp, sharp knife and a, a nice flashlight with, a, with an end on it so you can break the glass if you can't get the door open, and a sharp knife so you can cut that seatbelt. And the flames are on the other side of the car, and you say, well, that's just too bad that that person is burning. You know, that's not my fault. Whatever happened to them, it's not my fault. I can't help them. Woo, that's hot. So hot. But you had time. You had time to help them, and you watched them burn. You had time to help them, and you watched them burn. Can you imagine a worse thing? How many of in here, and in my audience, I can't see your hands raised, but how many here, uh, by the way, welcome to New York, upstate New York. Glad to have you, honored to have you. Um, we have some guests here for the first time, by the way. We're, we're honored to have you as well. Thank you so much. Um, let, me, let me just put this out to you. Have you ever seen someone in a burning car? Anybody? Has anybody ever seen anybody burn up in a house, in a car, any kind of thing like that? Anybody? I have. I've seen them burn up, and I've seen people uh, with accelerants put on them and set on fire. I've seen people set ablaze. Have you not seen the video on the Internet of ISIS burning alive Jordanian pilots and other people? You've all seen that. So we've all seen it. It's different when you're there. Let me tell you that. The smell of burning flesh is awful, and you'll never get it out of your nose. I've seen it. I've had the opportunity to intervene with friends of mine, and we were able to help the person. And there were other times where we couldn't get to it. They, they had already burned up, and it was awful, terrible thing. The obligation here is not for me to do what I cannot physically do. The obligation here is if I fail to guard the lives of others, we're guilty. We're talking about the scripture specifically. What if? What if I saw a person walking to that car? There was gas on the ground. Maybe they had a little crash. And there's somebody smoking a cigarette. And they're walking toward the car. And then you see the gas dripping out. And you sit there and say, well, that fool's walking toward that car with a cigarette in their mouth. Good lands. They're going to set that car on fire with that person in it. Shouldn't you yell and say something? Hey, buddy. Get, get away from there. There's a, you got a cigarette. There's, there's gas leaking. At the very least, should you not say that? Sure, we could all agree that you should at least say that. But you know what? Nowadays, guess what? People don't say stuff like that. You know why? Well, I don't want them getting mad at me. I don't want them getting mad with me. I don't, you never know. Do they have a gun? Do they have a knife? What, 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 what might they do? You know, we just don't know. We just don't know nowadays. But you know what? We have to take that chance. We have to. We absolutely have to. Deuteronomy 22.8. If someone falls from your roof, you ready for this? Y'all ready for this? If someone falls from your roof and you failed to install a safety fence around the edge, you'd be held liable for the death of this person. Likewise, in Exodus 21, Exodus 21, 29 through 31, if a man has an ox which is prone to harm people, you know that ox. Dog owners, I'm a dog owner. My dog owner somewhere around here asleep. Yeah, she's asleep. She's just chilling like a villain. So she's not going to hurt anybody. But listen, if you threaten to hurt me or somebody in my family or somebody that we she dearly loves, guess what? She'll defend you. Uh, I saw her defend me, and I couldn't believe my sweet little Buckeye could do that. I had sounds coming out of her. She was just snarling and coming after the threat and wouldn't stop. I thought, my land, that dog is a beast. She'll do anything to save me. She's maybe smaller than the threat. She doesn't care. But you know what? She's not prone, prone to harm somebody. But have you ever seen somebody with a dog 
and the dog bites, and they say, well, the dog does bite. If you don't do this, 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 or this, the dog won't bite you. And I say to my, I shake my head. I, I know somebody that's been bit. I know a few people. Guess what? I was bit. When I was a police officer, I got bit on the leg, got bit on the thigh by a pit bull. Woman sucked the pit bull, stuck, uh, sick the pit bull on me. She was a criminal. She's a terrible person. And uh, unfortunately, the dog paid with its life, and I hate to do it because you know, you all know I love animals. But, you know, look, if you know that dog or that animal, that ox in the Bible, if it's prone to harm people, the owner is held liable if he fails to confine it. If the ox harms somebody else, the owner is liable if you failed to confine it. Now, what happens if somebody climbs in there and there are signs everywhere? Climbs in the thing and says, well, I don't think that ox is all that. Pfft. I'll punch that ox right in its face. And guess what the ox does? Puts a, puts a, puts a, a uh, horn right through your gut and you end up dying. Is it, is it the owner's fault? This is how far American law has really gone, hasn't it? Somebody comes into your house. We're going to talk about this specifically. Scripture, scripture knew this was coming. Somebody comes in your house and they threaten you. Maybe they have a knife or whatever. And you shoot them. Well, you should have run. You have a duty to retreat, right? Castle Doctrine says that you don't have a duty to retreat. It says it's your land, the environs, uh, they extend it out to your to your main property within reach of the house. You have no duty to retreat, and you can stand your ground. Florida has a law called stand your ground, and the thing is you stand your ground, and if you have to kill the person, you have to kill the person if they're a threat to your life, to your well-being. Well, you know what? That's rooted in Scripture, but you know what? If this ox gets out of its confinement, or you didn't confine it at all, you said, "Oh, he'll be fine. He likes. To, he's a, he's one of those uh, grass-fed, rain, free-range oxes, and he's just angry because he doesn't get the free range, you know, and eat the grass. So we let him out, let him run around, and everything will be fine. He'll be nice, and then he hurts somebody. Well, that's a different story. If the ox kills someone, according to scripture, this is not me making this up. If the ox kills someone, the negligent owner. In the Old Testament Bible, is to be put to death. The principle could hardly be stated more forcefully. You must protect your life and the lives of others. That's how precious life is to God. This is the biblical view of bloodshed. This will be fun for you to see. I see you're having fun already. See, so we see we have a biblical obligation to protect life. So that's our foundation. We know that. Now let's look at what the Bible says about bloodshed. When we come to this topic, we enter an area that requires cultural recalibration. You can stick that. It's free of charge. That word is free. That's, that's a 25-cent word. I'll explain what it means here in a second. As you read through the Old and New Testaments, it's very clear that real blood from animals as well as humans has a significance not recognized in modern American culture. And we have to adjust our perception of blood to fit God's view of blood. Because you know what? It's not the same. It's not the same. We can say it is, and we can try to recreate God in our own image, but guess what? That never works out well. That never works out well. So we have to adjust our perception of blood to fit God's view of blood. Let's look at some relevant passages and contrast them with what culture, our modern culture, our postmodern emergent culture, thinks about bloodshed. When I say postmodern emergent uh, culture, the postmodern, I talk about this in my book, uh, all of you here have my book, uh, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. It's available at my website, um, theninjapastor.com, reductionongreener.com, Amazon, blah, 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 all those places. Buy it, give it as a gift, all that stuff. I talk about that in my book. We try to recreate God in our own image. 
And you know why we do it? We do it because we don't like what the biblical foundations, the scriptural foundations say to us. We don't like it. We say, man, that doesn't feel good. I don't like it. I don't like how that feels. Well, the Bible has some other things to say. Genesis 9, 5 through 6. I will certainly demand an accounting for the blood of your lives. I will demand it from every animal and from every human being. I will demand from every human being an accounting for the life of his fellow human being. Whoever sheds human blood by a human being will his own blood be shed. For God made human beings in his image. Now he clarifies this here in a little bit. Let me say this about the postmodern emergent church. I talk about that in my book. The postmodern emergent church is very skinny jeans wearing very stretchy pants. Is that skinny jeans too? Is that the same thing that was I redundant? Are skinny jeans stretchy? That's the question. Um, I don't know. I'll never have them. So, uh, you know, I can't sell skinny jeans on me. Nobody wants to see that. There's people throwing up in their mouth right now. Uh, but here's the thing. This postmodern emergent church, they just, you know, it's so pacifistic. My son told me when he was at, uh, I won't say the name of the university, uh, also my alma mater, uh, one of my alma maters, they he said you could always tell the worship pastors, the people that are there to be a worship pastor, because they were the most girly, effete, just so feminine and weak and whiny and, and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, come on, stop being a good – get out there and get your hands dirty. Live a little bit. You know? I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there. But – but they think this postmodern emergent church that we're supposed to be like that, that somehow or another scripture, but what have they done? They've recreated God in their own image. And you know what? God doesn't fit that image. We'll talk more about that right here. These words from Genesis 9, 5 through 6, that was a complete Jewish Bible, by the way. These words come in the days of Noah. This is pre, I hear this now, this is very pre-Mosaic law. Don't think that this is obvious thinking from mosaic law by the way <clears throat> if a man was killed excuse me the man or beast who caused the death must pay with his or its own life god says here i will require the life of man the bottom line it's in plain language here killing or bloodshed was not always wrong but when it was wrong the penalty was ultimate we learn here that there is a sanctity to spilled blood why two reasons there's a sanctity to spill blood. There's two reasons for it. Number one, life is precious, and the life is in the blood. Doc, can we, can we have life without blood if the blood is all gone? No, we cannot. There it is official. If you've been wondering, we have it from a doctor, an official MD. You are not going to live if you don't have blood. Newsflash to those of you who are wondering about that. So number one is corroborated by a medical doctor. When blood is shed, something precious is lost. You might not think blood is precious. We tend to consider blood just to be a bodily fluid. But the difference is, the truth is, the facts are, blood is precious to God. And number two, an attack on man is an attack on the image of God. At a trivial level, you're messing with sculptures in God's art studio. In God's view of bloodshed, it's not merely a physiological event. But it is an assault on the divine image. Why is murder punishable by death? It says, for in the image of God made he man. Now, let me, let me just address this. This isn't about abortion, but maybe it is, and I can't go on if I don't talk about it. Let me just say this, folks. By the way, if you've had an abortion, God forgives you. Go to God, and, and you, you ask very clearly, 
and, and in a penitent way, you take it to the cross, he will forgive you, and he will release you, and the Bible says he will remember your sin no more. So if that's something that's happened in your life, you need to know that you don't need to, to, to uh, beat yourself up over it any longer than the point at which you have gone to the foot of the cross and pled the blood of Jesus and asked for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. But the bottom line is abortion is, is, is just this thing that is wildly out of control, not just in America, but America has a real problem. America's real problem is, is it, it has, we, we are actually having arguments about is it a life? When is it a life? Well, when, it's a life only when it can sustain itself outside the womb. But those same people that fought for that, you know what, weak, fearful, chicken Christians said, well, I guess we can't win the fight. We're just going to have to sit back and we'll have to at least take this. At least they're not killing the ones that can't live outside the womb. And then we have the Born Alive Act. It says that if a baby, if a botched abortion happens, the baby, you know what a botched abortion is. It's when the, when the focus of, of the scalpel of the abortionist in the abortionist's hand fails to kill. When the saline solution fails to kill and the baby is alive when it comes out, they take this baby and they put the baby on a metal, it's very specific, a metal tray, a metal table with no palliative care, no food, no water, no love, no warmth, no covering for its little body. There's a certain period of time that passes, and if at that point in time the baby lives, then it is not a botched abortion, it is a live birth. If the baby dies three hours in, it's considered to be a botched abortion, or considered to be an abortion. Folks, let me be clear, that's murder. God's very clear about this. We have a duty to protect life and each other. I'll say this again, an attack on man is an attack on the image of God, even if that man is a little baby. We are created in the image of God. He knew us when we were formed in the womb. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. Let's talk about David. Remember David? He's quite special. We learned about uh, we learn more about God's view of bloodshed from David. David is a man who loved God. The Bible says he was man after God's. He had, he he was seeking the mind of God. I mean, and God loved him. There's no doubt about it. He was loved so much by God. God raised him up to defend Israel. God sent David to physically fight and defend Israel. When David killed Goliath and the Philistines in battles, it was at God's command. They were righteous killings. God said, you go do this. Go kill our enemies. They're coming for us. We've got to defend ourselves. He sent him, and he did it, exactly as he was told, but not without a price, folks. Now, with that understanding, let's look at a few passages. Just This will be interesting to you, I'm sure. First Chronicles 28.3 But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. Come on, what? First Chronicles 22.8, But the word of Jehovah came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Whoa, now, hold up. In the mind of Christ, he wanted to build a temple. He wanted to build something to honor God. He wanted to be part of that. But God said no, because he spilled blood. 
You say, well, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. He did what God told him to do, and now he can't build God a temple? What's that about? David wants to build a house for the Lord. This is a good desire. There's no doubt about that. We can't argue with it. But God says, David, you are disqualified from doing this. Why? Not because of the murder of Uriah, not because of his adultery with Bathsheba. It is because of the wars and because David has shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. David had killed men in the sight of God, and that disqualified him from this spiritual service. But wasn't David obeying God when he did all these things and engaging these wars? Yes, yes he was. Did David sin in shedding this blood? No, no he sure didn't. But shedding blood is so significant to God it's so significant to God that David was unfit for certain ministries. Well, I'm here to tell you, sometimes the warfighter, and I know there's some Navy SEALs listening right now that they sent me a message and said, hey, I'll be listening. I know that there's some uh, former combat corpsmen listening. Sometimes the warfighter, I'm here to tell you, sometimes the sheepdog pays a greater price than we realize than anyone realizes. Killing someone is not a light thing, and we need to understand that. Our culture, all across this country, our culture casually depicts killings. In television, in movies, in video games, killing. Whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, it's just portrayed with such a frequency that most people are relatively desensitized to it. It doesn't phase us anymore. I asked a while ago, had anybody seen that video of the Jordanian pilot burned to death? And we had someone here that did. And, and there have been many others, drowned, burned to death, other things. But we see it with such frequency now, it's, it's yeah, that's terrible. My goodness, that's terrible. But there was a time where that would so powerfully impact us, we couldn't barely stand it. We'd have to do something. Somebody's got to do something. And back then, we would be that somebody. But now we sit in the comfort and safety of our own home. And we say, well, somebody, and we point outside, has to do something about that. Or we don't say anything at all. Life and death on screen means nothing as it translates to the streets, the real streets of life. Here's the bottom line. Shedding blood, taking the life of another, it is a big deal. Your life is forfeit if you wrongfully take the life of another, even if you take life in a permitted manner. It's serious enough that it could disqualify you from certain types of spiritual service, even if you're the good guy, even if you didn't do anything wrong, even if you are acting at God's behest, you are marked in the, guy, in the eyes of God. I didn't say you're guilty. I didn't say you were guilty. I said you were marked in the eyes of God. I didn't say you weren't appreciated and thanked by God and blessed by God. No, but you may be removed from the opportunity to serve in certain ministries because of that, according to God. I'm merely showing that God viewed godly David differently because David had killed men, though righteously. Let me tell you, there's a great price. Don't forget about your warfighters, your sheepdogs, your defenders of life. They pay a great price. Bloodshed must have the same significance to us, folks. We have to focus on the fact that even if you're in the right, even if you do it totally righteously, there's a price. As we move on, I want to ask this question. Does the believer have an obligation to resist evil and to protect life? I'll read it again. Does the believer have an obligation to resist evil and to protect life? I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Having looked at the obligation to preserve life and the biblical view of bloodshed, let's, 
Let's now look at passages dealing with self-defense and the use of lethal force. Old Testament passages on lethal force and self-defense go kind of like this, and we'll start on the—everybody knows where I'm going to go, Ten Commandments. Exodus 20:13. you shall not, say it with me, murder. Doesn't say kill, folks. Take it back to the original Hebrew. It doesn't say kill. It says murder. The word is specific, and there's a big difference. Murder is wrong. This means the premeditated killing of another. And that is wrong. Killing in a fit of emotion is also wrong and is prohibited here. But as we'll see later, accidentally taking the life of another, while also is wrong, has a different connotation depending on a few factors. We must do all that we can to avoid it and stay away as far as possible from taking life. Let me say this to you, a very personal thing. Look, April 12, 2012, four years ago, just a few days ago, I was in a head-on collision. The, the kid driving the vehicle... Uh, was driving a borrowed vehicle with state minimum insurance. He had just gotten uh, two tickets with minutes, minutes before my crash happened. You know why I don't use the term accident? I don't say car accident. I wasn't in a car accident. I was in a car crash. Car crash has a cause. There are no accidents. And in this particular case, this fellow had just gotten tickets, and he was mad. We know this because he tweeted it out. And now once the fellows in the car decided to tell the truth, they they told the truth and said he was mad. And so in this borrowed car, he stomped on it, and, and uh, he was going 109 miles per hour when he hit the median, went 48 feet. By the time he hit me head on, he was going 92 miles per hour. He killed what he said in court was his dear friend. And he thought that he should go home that day and get to eat regular food and not be restricted in any way because he ain't mean this to happen. I didn't mean for this to happen. That's what he said. But you know what? I want to make something clear to you. Just because you didn't mean for something to happen, if you didn't show proper regard, due regard, due care, whether you meant for it to happen or not, there's still a price to be paid. I'll give you an example. DUI driver. A DUI driver. Somebody's drinking and driving. Look, they, they're, they're out of their mind drunk. They go out on the road, and they hit and kill one of your loved ones. Should they pay? People say, pacifist Christians say, well, you can't get the loved ones back. There's no point in that. Taking them away from their family won't help a thing. No, no, no. We get it wrong, folks. We get it wrong. There's a consequence to what we do. The Bible's very clear on it. We have to do all we can to avoid the shedding of blood, the killing of another. And we have to try our best to stay away from it. But having stated this prohibition, let's look at some of the qualifiers. Because there are qualifiers in Scripture. Leviticus. 24, uh, 16, 7, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Folks, we better not take lightly blaspheme. We better not take it lightly. The Bible was very clear. They put to death. I don't care if you're one of our community or you're somebody coming in from the outside. You are going to be put to death if, you're, if, you're, if you adhere to any part of this Bible. Then that's what's to come to you. Blaspheme. What is the unpardoned sin? Does anybody remember? Blaspheme. It says you won't be forgiven. You think that's serious to God? Do you think that's serious? Do you think abortion might also be considered blaspheme in addition to murder? He said this is created, this is formed in the womb, and you kill it? 
intentionally, it says here, shall be put to death. From verse 17, we see that killing was a crime requiring capital punishment. Killing here is defined, I just, I just said how it was defined, but note that not all killing is wrong. In the immediate, immediately preceding verse uh, 16, there were times such as in civil judgments and in which killing was commanded and sanctioned. Blasphemers was commanded. You were to be killed. So the person that carries that sentence out, guess what? They're not uh, subject to punishment. But do you think that executioner might be impacted? Maybe in what ministries they can sell. Remember we said, war fighters and sheepdogs pay a price. So in verse 17 itself, uh, it, it commands that whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. So we already see two qualifiers to the command, thou shalt not kill. Killing a man in capital punishment for murder or blasphemy was permissible. Let there be light. We saw earlier in the examples of the ox and the roof that if you cause somebody's death through your negligence, you were also deserving of capital punishment. So killing a man for causing negligent death was permissible. Let's look at Exodus 21, 12 through 15. Well, I'll tell you what, we don't, I don't know that we have time for that now because I'm running short on time. Numbers 35, if you want to look these up, uh, Numbers 35, 6 through 34, Deuteronomy 19, 1 through 13. By the way, don't fret because I'm going to cover this on Monday in much greater detail. Going to go into a much greater detail and specific application to you and your life, how you live. Going to give you some examples of in your own home, in your own workplace. Listen, I have a dear cousin, one of the sweetest people, came to the defense of somebody being attacked at the workplace where he was, and he was almost killed in the process. He wasn't a fighter. He was not a fighter. He, you know, the guy had a lead pipe, took it to my cousin's head, almost killed him. Yeah, beat him, beat him unconscious. Intensive care, critical condition for a long time. He knew the cost, and yet he still went to the aid of another person. So I'm going to give you some really detailed examples, and I'm going to go into greater detail than I have time for here. But anyway, all those passages, they give further qualifications to the prohibition to kill. Here, the Lord deals with accidental killing where there is no negligence. God defines accidental killing this way in Deuteronomy 19.4. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past. Whoa. Now that's something special, isn't it? You could you could work on this all night and not come up with a better thing than that. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in time past. It also gives an example. As when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber and his hand swings a stroke with the axe, to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. You know what? How many in here have ever heated their home with wood? Right? You chop wood, you better make sure before you start swinging that axe, that old heavy head of that axe, you had better make sure. Now, I grew up, we, we heated our house exclusively with wood. We didn't have any other kind of heat. There was a whole lot of wood chopping and wood sawing and wood splitting and all this business. And you know what you had to do? You had to be careful. You had to check your equipment beforehand. Why? Because you were responsible. You were responsible. So the head slips from the handle and strikes the neighbor so that he dies. These passages establish the cities of refuge. I want you to read them. I don't have time to read them now. If you're not familiar with the system described here, I, I, I would commend it for your study, really and truly. It's fascinating, absolutely fascinating study. The Holy Bible, listen, folks, it is indeed a, an incredible repository of great wisdom and direction on how to live 
in society. You know what we don't need? Look, I'm a big fan. Everybody knows I'm a big fan of the Center for Self-Governance. Big fan. I'm level five, one of the first, I don't know how many, in five or four people, five or four people in the state of Delaware to get to level five in Center for Self-Governance. I'm telling you, it couldn't be a better thing. And part of it teaches this principle. Man, what a library of literary genius the Bible is. Wouldn't it be great if we spent a lot of our time, instead of spending our time watching things that are of no benefit to us, wasting and frittering our time away, studying Scripture, actually studying Scripture, wouldn't that be something? How much smarter would we be? I commend that to your study. Study that, the, the uh, cities of refuge. God says here, if you commit unintentional killing, that is if you accidentally kill someone, and it's not motivated by anger or hatred, and there is no negligence involved, then your life is forfeited. You are guilty of killing and could be, could be put to death by the avenger of blood, but there is a way of escape. If you committed accidental killing and there was no negligence, you would not be put to death if you fled to one of the designated cities of refuge. This is kind of like house arrest for us today. In fact, it's stronger than house arrest. Numbers 35:25 says that if you wander out of the city of refuge, you may be put to death if the avenger of blood finds you. Man, that's pretty stiff stuff. The person guilty of accidental killing has to stay in a city of refuge until the death of the high priest. By the way, this is a beautiful picture of Christ's work, isn't it? Christ, the city of refuge in whom we must remain hidden, and Christ is the high priest whose death takes our guilt and sets us free. Praise God. It shows that killing someone accidentally with no malice, without negligence, made your life forfeit. It was almost as serious as murder in God's eyes. Let's not get it twisted just because God makes a merciful provision. It didn't remove the fact that you were worthy of death for unintentional killing. Even though we're shown grace and forgiveness for our wrong, that doesn't mean we may not pay the consequences. Modern society with all their safe spaces, right? Colleges and, and uh, high schools now, we've got all these safe spaces, pink no-bullying shirts. You know what? Back, I'll just say this. I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. Um, when I was a kid, you know what you did to bullies? You knocked them out. You gave them five of these where you sneeze. You know, you didn't mess around. And if you couldn't do it by yourself, guess what you did? Somebody picked on your friend, bullied them. You know what you did? You got a group. Oh, that's vigilantism. We don't teach our children that. No, we teach them to go put on a pink shirt and run around talking about bullying is wrong. Right? People know bullying is wrong. Am I, am I right? Is that occurring? Is somebody out there in the audience right now thinking to themselves, I'm glad I listened to the Ninja Pastor. didn't even know bullying was wrong. Somebody didn't tell me that. I could have known that sooner. I've been a bully my whole life. And now I listen to Ninja Pastor. I'm not a bully anymore. Praise Jesus. Come on, y'all. Everybody knows bullying is wrong. We all know that. The bully has to pay. You know, you stop a bully from being a bully is you show them the way. It's what you got to do. It's just what you got to do. I'm sorry to say, pink shirts don't impress bullies. But just because, yeah, yeah, there's some folks in here have a pink shirt on, they're running out. But you know, modern modern society, they, they have all these safe spaces and all these little things, you know, uh, where we don't want people to be hurt by, we want to have free speech, but we don't hurt anybody by it. That's changing on college campuses. Well, you can't say this. You can't say that. You can't express yourself anymore in this country. 
I hate to tell you this, but Christians are why we have lost this. I'm sorry, let me qualify that. Weak Christians, fearful Christians are why. Now, you can ask yourself, am I a weak or a fearful Christian? Am I a weak or fearful Christian? Boy, I don't know. We could talk for hours on that. I think it wouldn't take us hours, though. You know what I think it would take? About four minutes. We could say, we could, I could ask a few questions, and you'd know right away, well, I'm a weak Christian. I don't just mean weak in your faith. I mean weak. Look, y'all, if we had a, let's say we all lived on this street, and everybody lived on the street was a Christian. We believed in Christ. We were, we were all uh, like believers, right? We're all like believers. We, we read the scripture. We study. And when we walk out to our mailbox, let me tell you what, this does not happen in my neighborhood. But we all walk out to the mailbox. we all talking about the passage of scripture that we read. Hey, have you ever read this scripture? Boy, I listened to this guy, Ninja Pastor. He broke it down for me. Now I understand I'm not supposed to be a bully. Sorry I've been a bully to you. Changed your whole life, right? But you know what? If you're coming home, you're driving, what do people do? They drive up, they drive in the garage, they go inside their house, they, you don't ever see them. How do, they get, how do they get in and out of their house? We don't know. But the door opens, they go in, the door closes, they go in their house, you don't see them. But I drive down the street one day and I see somebody breaking into my neighbor's house. And I know my neighbor's home because they're home from work, they hurt themselves, and so they're home from work or maybe they're sick and I know they're there. And I said, mm, too bad for my neighbor. Too bad for my neighbor. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to tell you this right now. This is another problem with guns being stripped from society. I don't mean guns in the hands of bad people. We're never talking about that, folks. Uh, look, an NRA member, to my knowledge, has never committed any of these mass shootings in this country. To my knowledge, I've researched it left, right, and center. I can't find any instance of an NRA member doing that. We're not talking about NRA members. We're not talking about good gun owners. There's a whole lot of good gun owners right in this congregation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who are bad, evil people, shouldn't even touch a gun, shouldn't touch a popsicle stick, let alone a gun. But we said, no, that's not for us. We're going to pray and trust God. And, and he said, you know, gather, gather, and all that. Look, that, I read Scripture. I wasn't making it up. It wasn't a comic strip I read. It was Scripture. And this is what it said. Man, oh, man, we only have nine minutes left. I'm, I, have, I have about two hours worth of material left to go, so we're not going to get to all of it. But I just I want to say this. We'll try to get to all we can. I want to be clear on this. Christians have an obligation to not be milk toast weaklings. We have an obligation. You say I'm not a fighter. You know what? Truth be told, neither am I. I have feelings. My feelings can be hurt. You you can hurt my feelings easy. Tell me I'm worthless. I might not show it on the outside. I'll be crushed on the inside. Tell me I'm lazy. Whew, man, that's hard for me to deal with. I would struggle with that for weeks. You wouldn't see it on the outside, but you'd see it on the inside. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a, a crazed killer. I'm not saying that I know better than anybody else physically. Well, maybe I do a little better than some other folks physically how to protect life and property. But you know what? Christians all across this country have said they do this. They throw their hands up and they go, well, that's why I have insurance to replace my car if somebody steals it. Uh, that's why I have house insurance in case somebody comes in and steals my stuff. That's far to my house. That's why I have insurance. No, it is not. I'm here to tell you, Christians, all across America, no, it is not. That's not why. You have a duty and you have an obligation. Tomorrow, 
between 4 and 6 p.m., I'm going to go into incredibly great detail on that one principle alone, not just the whole two hours, but I'm telling you right now, and if you can't listen tomorrow, when you get home from work or what, oh, wait, 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 what is today? I already said that, didn't I? You already told me. Sorry, I have a brain injury. I don't know if you know. Um, Monday, 4 to 6, Monday, 4 to 6, that's when my show is. I better be there. Somebody better remind me so I'll be where I'm supposed to be. So Monday, 4 to 6, and I'm telling you right now, if you don't think I'm going to be fired up, I'm going to be fired up. Monday, 4 to 6, Collision of Faith and Politics. Go to the ninjapastor.com, drjohngreener.com, go over to the blog. There'll be a post there. You can click on that, or if you're listening to Blog Talk Radio, go and follow my show. It's easy. Click on follow. That's hard. I mean, that's not hard. That's not hard at all. The Ninja Pastor on Twitter, at the Twitter, at the Ninja Pastor. Click on follow. It's easy. It's easy. It doesn't cost you a thing. You'll get all the updates. Tell you what, you go to the ninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com. You go on there. If you're there for longer than 30 seconds, guess what happens? Little thing comes up on your screen. It says name and email. Would you like to get updates? Blah, blah, blah. You put your name in there. You put your email address in there. Guess what happens? You're going, I'm going to be like, yeah, I got a person that wants to know what we do. And you know what else is going to happen? You're going to get an email saying, are you sure? Have you seen this guy? Have you listened to him? He's kind of crazy. Are you sure you want to get emails from him? And, it, and, then, and then you're going to say yes or no. And then at that point in time, if you say yes, I'm not going to spam you. We don't sell your name. To be honest with you, I don't know how to do it. Even if I didn't know how to do it, I wouldn't do it. Your stuff is very, very secure. Anyway, I just want you to understand. I, I need for you to understand this principle. Life is precious. We, we Christians all across the country, we retreat, we run, and people say uh, this has been a principle that, that has been applied and I think to myself, how in the world did this happen? I don't know why I asked myself how it happened, because I know exactly how it happened. Over time, over time, people that didn't know anything about the Bible but love to quote the Bible, this president is the worst for that. I've never seen a president misquote Scripture and the intent and the meaning of Scripture. Now, how a Muslim is going to quote the Holy Bible with any sort of authority, I don't know. You say, come on now, that's inflammatory, that's hyperbole. You shouldn't call him a Muslim. He said he's a Christian. Guess what? They're told to lie. Takia. They're told to lie. I do, I do several shows on this probably every three months explaining what Islam is and isn't. Anyway, the dude lies. And you're going to listen to him talking about Scripture? What's he doing? He's saying, hey, all guns should be taken away. Nobody should have guns except for people I say should have guns and the people that protect me. And guess what happens? You take away your guns, guess what happens after that? You're done. It's over with. You say, man, you're too into guns. You're a war monger. Somebody I dearly love called me that this week. It broke my heart. Look, I'm a scripture monger. I'm a scripture monger. You say, well, you like to pick fights. I'm the last person in the world who wants to pick a fight with somebody. I would rather do fun and loving things or help somebody than to pick a fight, than to bust them up. Just because I can doesn't mean I love it. I don't look forward to that. That's not something I, I can't wait to do. I would far rather have a fun time doing fun things with good people, helping people in needs, whatever the case may be, than to have to bust somebody up into pieces. Newsflash for you. You come in my house when you're not supposed to be here. You try to jack me in my truck or hurt my family or my dog or my dear friends. Newsflash, you're going to see a whole different level of response. People say, well, now... You go to jail. You do wrong things, you go to jail. 
you go to jail. That's why I, I second call the fence, folks. Go to the website, click on the link. If you are a person who has a gun in your home, you need second call defense. Because we've allowed, and sadly, mostly Christians, mostly Christians have abdicated our rights to protect ourselves and our property. I want you to know you don't have to do that. Monday, I learned, takes me five or six times, but Monday between 4 and 6 p.m., join this show because we are going to share with you all of the details. We're going to go into great detail. So that you can put this to rest. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So that as a Christian or a Jew, now I have a huge Jew audience. That's what they tell me. They, I'm your Jew follower. I had a guy the other day send me an email. He goes, I'm your Jew. We have Jews here now, Messianic Jews. I'm your Jew. I, I travel with a group of people who are Messianic Jews, and I teach them security things. And uh, we do all kinds of really interesting things. They're some of my favorite people on the planet. And you know what they tell me all the time? This one is, uh, well, there's several African Jews. Did you know there's Jews in Africa? Did you know this? So several of them are African, and he says to me, he'd never even seen a gun except for what was pointed at him in Africa. He says, Patashon, you got gun on you? Ah, come on, this black Jew don't know nothing about no guns. Could I see it? Come on, let me touch it, man. It would have hurt me, man. And uh, all night long, I happened to room with this guy. All night long. Where your gun is, Pastor? Come on. Where your gun is? I want to see gun. And it just cracked me up. He was just so special. Guess what he did? He went back. He took some gun courses. He took some training when at our different seminars, seminars that we do. Man, he, is, he is, has comfort and skill at arms. And he says, man, how do I walk around without a gun? Because you know people point gun at you where I live. They're bad men. Now the bad men aren't the only one with gun. Black Jew got gun now. Love that. I just love that. So tune in tomorrow, folks. Tune in tomorrow. It'll be worth your while. It'll be fun. Um, we, we will get to the core of it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'll tell you what, I don't take it lightly, you taking your time to join me. And I'll tell you what else, too. Um, I appreciate the comments. And, well, there's different folks were on. Uh, let's see here. There's a whole bunch of people in, in, um, in the... Uh, what do you call it? The um, chat room. Thank you very much. See, what would I do without you guys here? And uh, anyhow, the point is, is I appreciate you joining me. I know your time is valuable. You got other things you could do. And I really appreciate, especially on a Saturday. There's people that join us on a Saturday. I know this was a disruption to your normal Saturday thing. We really appreciate it. If you were here, you could be having uh, food with us. And cake. And cake. They're going to have cake for my son's his birthday, 21st birthday. Two kinds of cake. Hey, we like we like options. Um, but anyhow, I just appreciate it. And, uh, if you appreciate what we do, the ninjapastor.com, go over to the donate button and donate if you want. And, um, and if you have it, thank you so much for joining us. We love you and we appreciate you. God bless you. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean, and please follow this show and the collision of faith and politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and check out all the free messages archive shows and buy dr sean's critically acclaimed book excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america 
at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight. <laughs>